Hello, and welcome back, everyone. Today's episode of Spaghetti Pie is going to be part two of a brief biography on Hypatia of Alexandria. If that's not ringing any bells, take a few minutes and go back and listen to episode one before we get going here. For those of you still with me now, let's take a moment to review what I told you last time, yeah? So, Hypatia was born to Theon of Alexandria in the midst of the 4th century. Her father was a leading intellectual and professor at the city's university, and Hypatia ended up taking over her dad's prestigious role at some point in the 380s. She was a philosopher who taught a lot of men from all kinds of religious backgrounds, mostly Christian though, on the correlations between Neoplatonism and mathematical principles. And as I hope you recall, while Hypatia was influenced by the Neoplatonists Plotinus and Porphyry, she did not follow the teachings or practices of Iamblichus, who was a borderline extremist in terms of his interpretation of the philosophy. Now, remember how I left you on that cliffhanger last time? You know, when I mentioned that Hypatia was brutally murdered at the age of 60? I mean, how, how in the world did things go from she was well-respected and admired to let's commit a violent murder plot? If you're like me and a bunch of other people who have been intrigued by Hypatia's legacy, you might initially think that it had everything to do with her being a female mathematician, or maybe it had to do with her not being a Christian, let alone a devout one, even though she was living in an officially Christian state. Honestly, the whole notion that Hypatia was persecuted because she was both a woman and a math scholar is what originally drew me in to this story. However, all of those theories are simply not true. Hypatia's death didn't have anything to do with her religious or spiritual views, her expertise in philosophy and mathematics, nor the fact that she was a woman. Unfortunately, these misconceptions are what a lot of modern storytellers will lead you to believe. We can find evidence that debunks these false legends if we look further back into Alexandria's history. We're going to first look at a man named Theophilus. His name might actually be pronounced Theophilus, but I've been pronouncing it Theophilus while I've been researching, so I'm just going to stick with that. Up until his death in 412, Theophilus had been the Christian Archbishop of Alexandria. In the year 385, Theophilus had begun plotting to rid his city of paganism. He even went so far as completely demolishing a pagan temple, specifically the one dedicated to a deity named Serapis. And then, he erected a church dedicated to St. John the Baptist on the very same ground. So, as you can imagine, there was a lot of conflict going on with Christians and pagans towards the end of Theophilus' life and career. But you want to know who had no involvement with any of this conflict? Yeah, that's right, 
there is no evidence that Hypatia herself or any of her followers were at all linked to battles between the two religious groups. On top of all this, Theophilus had no issues with Hypatia at any point in time. He paid her no mind because Theophilus knew that Hypatia wasn't a pagan, or at least not in the traditional sense of the word. Why does any of this matter, though? After all, Theophilus died a few years before Hypatia did. Well, like I said, during this Christians versus pagans religious conflict, Hypatia hadn't been a target at any point in time. So when Theophilus's nephew, Cyril, became the new archbishop at the time of Theophilus's death, no one had even been considering Hypatia as a threat. Just as well, there's no evidence that this Cyril person had started an anti-pagan campaign before Hypatia's murder in 415. All of this can help discredit the idea that she was killed because of her religion. Debatably, we could also use the fact that she hadn't been targeted for decades as an argument against the notion that she was murdered due to her gender and mathematical prowess. What then was the true purpose for and reasoning behind the attack on Hypatia? In order to understand that, we need to take a closer look at that Cyril guy that I mentioned. And yes, you're right, we have taken a lot of sidesteps in this story, but trust me, it's all necessary in order for you to get the clear picture. So, as we all know, ancient civilizations loved their public entertainment. The ways in which they gathered and celebrated was often more theatrical than what we usually see nowadays. One venue for celebration was a city's dance performances. In Alexandria, at one particular dance recital, a known lieutenant of Cyril's named Hyrax was seen in the crowd. Now, there's debate as to whether or not this lieutenant was there to assassinate the prefect, which was essentially the civil governor of Alexandria, and his name was Orestes, or for Hyrax to cause civil unrest throughout the crowd. And I just don't have time to explain the details of that theory. It goes further back than I want to go, and we're focusing on Hypatia's story here. Or the stuff relevant to Hypatia's story. Most relevant. Anyways, it's all relevant. Anyways, no matter why Hyrax was there, members of the audience noticed him and started shouting that he was a risk to somebody that day. This, th this is a good place to pause and give you a rundown of who Orestes was. Like I said, he was essentially Alexandria's governor. If you've looked more into the movie Agora, know that Orestes is who Oscar Isaac plays. Also, by the way, I've been reading more reviews on that film, and apparently Alejandro Amenabar, I'm so sorry, I cannot pronounce his name, didn't actually have his Hypatia engage in romantic relationships, which makes me feel a lot better and makes me think that maybe we should give it a chance sometime. So, uh, yeah. As you may have guessed, Orestes and Hypatia were good friends, and people knew that the prefect highly valued Hypatia's input. Now, back to that public debacle with Cyril's lieutenant and the dance recital. So Orestes listened to all the distraught audience members and ended up arresting Hyrax. 
One thing that all historians agree on is that the lieutenant was tortured so harshly that he ended up dying. Of course, once Cyril found out about this, he was upset, to say the least. Rather than retaliate violently, though, the archbishop follows the guidance of his peers and advisors and invites Orestes to a meeting in order to gain common ground. The prefect, Orestes, reluctantly agrees. But the meeting doesn't go how Cyril hoped it would. Orestes doesn't comply with Cyril, and in fact, he refuses to fully accept Cyril's propositions and claims to power. So, essentially, this meeting did nothing other than stoke the flames of the fire and increase the political tension that was consuming Alexandria at the time. Now, nobody's quite sure whether or not Cyril had much, if anything, to do with the things I'm going to tell you about. For the sake of simplicity, let's go with what the foremost expert on Hypatia has to say. This, if you'll call from part one, is Maria Zelska. And that is, Cyril likely had nothing to do with the actions of his followers. Just keep this in mind for the rest of the story. Anyway, Cyril's followers were infuriated by Orestes' decision to walk out on the archbishop. So they started thinking of ways that they could put pressure on Orestes and push him to change his mind. These conspirators turned their attention to Hypatia because of how close she was to the prefect. They started creating rumors and their gossip spread quite easily since many people believe that research in mathematics and astronomy, and I quote a scholar named Mary Gray here, constituted sorcery. <laughs> in an effort to support their conclusion that Hypatia's sorcery was keeping Orestes from reconciling with Cyril, the conspirators claimed that Hypatia was, get this, a major follower of Iamblichus's. This, as I hope you remember from my lecturing you, was not true. They reasoned that as a follower of Iamblichus, she was most likely using magic and enchantments as a means to will Orestes in the direction that she favored. This is all just... It's, it's all so logical, right? All sarcasm aside, I feel that I need to warn you that this next part of the story is going to get a bit... graphic. Be aware that the details in Hypatia's murder may disturb you, much like a majority of ancient Greek and Roman deaths, so feel free to skip forward a few minutes. Now, ironically, and... Perhaps this is in bad taste, but the paramilitary group that set out on that fateful March day in 415 was reportedly called the Parabolans. I'll give you a second to think about why I find that so ironic, and if you're not seeing it, no worries. It's probably been a while since you've talked about graph shapes. Just think back to when you learned about parabolas in school. I'm winking into the microphone in case you can't feel that. Anyway, because she was so highly regarded in the city, Hypatia was able to easily and freely get around Alexandria. As she was on her way home, Cyril's radical followers pulled Hypatia from her chariot and dragged her through the street into a nearby church. They tore the clothes off of her body and repeatedly beat her with stones, 
roof tiles and other hard building scraps that they could find. Now, I've found conflicting reports on whether or not this paramilitary group actually intended to murder Hypatia, but I mean, if you look at all the pieces of this plot, I don't really see how they couldn't have expected that they'd end up killing her. They beat her until she stopped breathing and proceeded to tear the limbs off of her body, eventually burning her arms and legs for reasons that I still just don't understand. Like I said, it was a very brutal murder, and though this doesn't make anything any more or any less tragic, Hypatia was around 60 years old. That's a lot to take in, so take a second. We also need to acknowledge that Hypatia's murder was, in fact, politically motivated. Many, many storytellers perpetrate the misunderstanding that she was killed because she was a non-Christian, intelligent, and deep-thinking woman. And I'm not going to lie, this notion was one of the things about Hypatia's legacy that originally captivated me. I thought of how scandalous it would have been had she been murdered for those other reasons, and how I could potentially relate the entire story into some message about the dangers of fearing math. Instead, however, I think we can all agree that there's something to be said about how large of a role mathematics played in the life of an important historical figure. Really, I'm hoping that this biography of just one out of many mathematicians has been interesting to you. I'm hoping that it's helped to ease you into what this podcast is all about. I want everyone to see that mathematics is so much more than the long division or factorization or what have you that many of us may have struggled with back during our earlier years. It's, there's a lot of pieces to math and they come from all kinds of directions and perspectives. The people who study math, this universal language, aren't always that stereotypical image that I know pops up in your head when I say the word mathematician. As always, thank you so very much for listening, and I can't wait to have you back next time. If you would like to take a look at the episode notes that go along with today's story, along with a list of references that I used while researching the content, you can access it all on the website spaghellipie.wordpress.com. Now, the episodes for this episode might be a bit later than when I actually published the podcast itself, but I will get on that as soon as possible. Thank you for your patience. I'm so sorry. Um... You can also reach me by email at spaghellipie at gmail.com. If you have any questions, topic suggestions, or you just want to say hi, I would absolutely love to hear from you. For now, though, I'm hoping that you go on to have a wonderful day or night, depending on whenever you're listening to this, and I'll see you again soon. Stay awesome, friends! The theme song for Spaghetti Pie is Pluck It Up by Dan Heenan. Special thanks to my advisor, Dr. Patrick Shipman, and my sister, Alex, for creating the cover art for this podcast.